This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. The truth is Don Staley canceled South Carolina's women's basketball series with BYU to embarrass the Mormon institution and elevate her own profile. It was not a well thought out decision. It was emotional and manipulative. Staley should do the same to Memphis, another school the Gamecocks will meet in a home and home series. There's actual proof that the city of Memphis is unsafe for young black people and people in general. The city's murder rate rivals Chicago's and St. Louis's. Last year, the mid-sized city recorded 346 murders. Don Staley needs to learn the story of Eliza Fletcher, the young mother kidnapped and murdered in Memphis. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Wednesday uh, to you and yours. It's a great day uh, to be here in the Fearless studios because Shamika Michelle is here with me. She's in Memphis. Shamika, you look awesome as always, always better in person. Fantastic show uh, planned for you today. Of course, Shamika Michelle is going to be here all day. TJ Moe, Delano Squires will join us. Pastor Anthony Walker uh, will be here for some Tennessee Harmony. We'll review the movie Honk for Jesus uh, with Pastor Harmony, and Virgil Walker is going to join us as well uh, for that conversation. Uh, but we'll begin where we like to begin every show, and uh, that is with a fire. Uh, so let's get this party started. I wonder if Don Staley, the queen of women's college basketball, has heard the story of Elijah Fletcher. Cleotha Abstin, a career criminal, stalked, kidnapped, and murdered the 34-year-old school teacher on Friday. Fletcher, a mother and wife, was out on an early morning jog in her hometown of Memphis, one of the most dangerous cities in America. According to statistics, you have a 1 in 12 chance of being a victim of violent or property crime while living in Memphis. I wonder if Don Staley knows any of this. The South Carolina women's coach recently canceled the Gamecocks home and home series against Brigham Young University because a Duke volleyball player, Rachel Richardson, claimed BYU fans taunted her with racial slurs. Staley said, quote, I just wanted to make sure our players didn't have to endure that because if something happened of that manner, I don't have the words to comfort them. Really? BYU was scheduled to play at South Carolina on November 7th. Next year, the Gamecocks were supposed to play at BYU. There's been no definitive evidence presented that the BYU crowd taunted Richardson or her teammates. The allegations first surfaced when Richardson's godmother, Lessa Pamplin, a political candidate in Texas, tweeted that Richardson was racially harassed throughout the entirety of a televised volleyball match. Pamplin has a documented history of making anti-white racial remarks and promoting racial hoaxes. 
BYU has a long history of hosting sporting events on its campus. The school's basketball teams have a long history of employing black players and assistant coaches. BYU is known for its homogeneous white campus. It doesn't have a reputation for using racial slurs at sporting events. Today, a group of state politicians in South Carolina, the South Carolina Freedom Caucus, wrote a letter to Staley and Athletics Director Ray Tanner demanding the school explain its hasty decision-making, writing, quote, why did the University of South Carolina cancel the series against BYU when no supporting evidence existed to warrant such action? Will the University of South Carolina reschedule with BYU and issue a public apology if the allegations continue to be shown as false? Is it now the policy of the university to forego, or more concerning, ignore any fact-finding missions into allegations of wrongdoing? Will the university be canceling all sporting events whenever any fan of any university against which the Gamecocks have in an upcoming game is accused of acting inappropriately? Is the University of South Carolina now taking responsibility for all of its fans regardless of any relationship with the university? What is the policy of the University of South Carolina for canceling games in which allegations of wrongdoing by a future opposing school's fans are made? And finally, Will the University of South Carolina decline any games with Duke University given the verifiable racially insensitive tweets by a member of Duke's fan base, Miss Pamplin? The Freedom Caucus then made a series of freedom of information requests seeking a paper trail to back up the decision to cancel the games. The Freedom Caucus has basically put Don Staley in South Carolina on notice that they want them to explain themselves and the irrational decision that just got made. Don Staley just flipped out because she's an emotional wreck and because she's privileged and pampered. South Carolina is the first school to counsel a home game out of fear that the visiting team's fans would racially taunt their opponent. I guess Staley canceled the series out of fear of what might happen next year. Her players could be taunted. The truth is, Staley canceled South Carolina's series with BYU to embarrass the Mormon institution and elevate her own profile. It was not a well thought out decision. It was emotional and manipulative. Staley should do the same to Memphis. There's actual proof that the city of Memphis is unsafe for young black people and people in general. The city's murder rate rivals Chicago's and St. Louis's. Last year, the mid-sized city recorded 346 murders. For the first time in three decades, on December 3rd, South Carolina will play Memphis. It's a home-and-home -home series. Next year, the Gamecocks will travel to, you guessed it, Memphis. Where will Staley's Gamecocks face more danger? Provo, Utah, or Memphis, Tennessee? Based on the stats and reputation, Stating the Gamecocks should bring extra security to Memphis. There's plenty of evidence that Memphis is quite dangerous for all people, but particularly black people. The tragedy that befell Elijah Fletcher is just the latest example. Fletcher's white, but it's very dangerous there. A year ago, the rap world and corporate media celebrated the murder of Young Dolph, the Nipsey Hussle of the South. The rappers say Memphis, M-E-M-F-P-H-I-S, 
stands for making easy money, pimping hoes in style. That's Memphis's reputation. Don Staley is comfortable taking a group of young women to Memphis, but not Provo. Staley is a hypocrite. Her hypocrisy is supported by corporate media. In 2018, the Missouri Tigers played at South Carolina. There was an on-court fight that appeared to be instigated by Staley's players. Sierra Michaelis, a former Mizzou basketball player, attended the game. She tweeted that South Carolina fans spit on Missouri players after the game. Missouri's athletics director, Jim Sturt, complained that Tigers players were called the N-word and spit on. He blamed Don Staley. Here's a quote. We had players spit on and called the N-word and things like that, Sturk said in 2018. I mean, it was not a good environment and unfortunately, I think Coach Staley promoted that kind of atmosphere. And it's unfortunate that she felt she had to do that. Staley dismissed the allegations as serious and false. Take a listen. The accusations um, are serious and false, and they will be handled in a manner reflective of, of those facts. And that's all I'm going to say about it. You got a question? You take questions. And so that was that. That was the end of it. No one refused to play South Carolina. Stephen A. Smith never discussed the alleged racism bubbling within Staley's program and fan base. No one that I'm aware of has called out Staley for this blatant hypocrisy. When her fan base was accused of being out of control, she claimed her fans are the greatest in the world. Saying, quote, our fans are great. They're loyal. They're passionate. They understand basketball. They understand how to act in the stands. I stand by our fans. I stand by what they represent. I stand by how they cheer. I stand by every single thing they bring to the building because it's appropriate and well within the rules of the game. You go, girl. Yas queen. That's black elite privilege. Staley gets to defend her fan base. The BYU athletics director, Tom Homo apologized before anyone even had a chance to investigate the legitimacy of Rachel Richardson's claims. This is idolatry. Based on skin color, Staley and her fans are above sin, and BYU is covered in sin. Provo, Utah is a place too dangerous for black women's basketball players. Meanwhile, Memphis is heaven on earth. Don Staley is committed to cleaning up Utah and ignoring Memphis. 1% of Utah is black. 64% of Memphis is black. Don Staley cares about Don Staley. She uses race to benefit her bank account. That's my fire. And before I bring uh, TJ Moe and Shamika into this conversation, I wanna take care of a little business and then we'll have plenty of time to chat. Uh, we're in a recession and the only way to combat it is to think smarter about how we shop. You're buying meat at the grocery store, but you could be buying it better. Good Ranchers gives you access to the best meat America has to offer at a price that hasn't gone up while others have skyrocketed. You don't have to get over your fear of commitment to subscribe with Good Ranchers. You can pause your subscription for up to 90 days or cancel it anytime you want. 
You can keep your benefits and your locked-in price without any long-term contracts. Yes, when you subscribe, your price is locked in. No one else is doing what Good Ranchers does. A year from now, when meat goes up by another 20, 30, or 50%, this will be the thing you wished you had done. Every item is steakhouse quality and sourced directly from American farms and ranches. Use my code FEARLESS today and get your box for $30 off plus free shipping. The only thing you'll love more than the prime steaks, better than organic chicken, and superior seafood of Good Ranchers is the price. You get to pay for it forever. Head on over and subscribe now to lock in your price. Go to GoodRanchers.com fearless. Good Ranchers, American meat delivered. All right, now the business out of the way, uh, we can go back to discussing Don Staley and the hypocrisy she has shown here uh, with the way she's uh, handled BYU. What do you think of my argument, Shamika, and then we'll bring in TJ Mo. What do you think of my argument that uh, if she's really concerned about her player's safety, cancel the series with Memphis? Players are far more dangerous in danger in Memphis than Utah. Yeah, first I want to say, Jason, ow, because I miss <laughs> you saying that, you know, at the top of the show. I miss your owls, just oh, so you I'm know. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. Ow! Yes. Yeah, it's been a while since I've done that. <laughs> right, yeah. and I love it. And also, yeah, I'm wondering if Don has even looked at her players lately because we're talking about women that are really tall. They walk on the court all hunchback. You know, they're grabbing the crotches that they don't have. <laughs> so, of course, like, why are they scared to go to BYU? I'm sure they call each other in the, in the locker room because that's exactly what many of them think they are. So, no, she's not afraid to go to Memphis, and she should be, but she's not because she'll feel right at home, and she thinks that her players will be right at home. TJ, uh, having been a Mizzou Tiger, uh, perhaps you know Jim Sterk. Perhaps you know, I think the women's coach is Robin Pingenton. Pingenton, uh, yep. if, if, if yeah, and, and perhaps you know them. They had some serious allegations in 2018 about South Carolina and what transpired there. And obviously that was all blown off. And I, I, I find it just fascinating that it's basically the same situation as BYU. Don Staley gets to say, nope, that never happened. That's false. Everybody moves on. But there's these severe repercussions for BYU. Well, that's instructive of how you should handle these things. And perhaps there's some black privilege involved here because she's a black, she, she's in the oppression Olympics, right? Gay black woman. And so everything to her is oppression, but she's a black lady. So she gets to stand up and say that I stand behind everything that our fan base represents. I wish everybody could experience, but what, what we experience here at South Carolina, they're great. Uh, they bring the right atmosphere. And then everybody says, oh, well, a black lady said it. And so we'll just let it go. BYU, everybody knows, is virtually 100% white. And so they don't get that same luxury. But I'll tell you, they should have given the same response. How about saying, look, we're going to look into this, but there's not a shred of evidence that this happened. And the one person that you're saying it may have been was a special needs kid. So we're looking into this, but don't you dare defame us in the meantime and cancel our program. What you're trying to do is cancel BYU altogether and tell us that we need to give you a whole bunch of money to bring in our sensitive 
sensitivity training and everything that comes in. That's the kind of stuff that drives me insane. BYU has gone directly into their apology tour instead of standing strong. And this, this is what happens, right? And so I, I do think that's somewhat instructive. To your point about Mizzou, I know Jim Sterk well. I know Robin Pinchton quite well. Uh, Jim Sterk ended up having to settle a lawsuit for $50,000 over comments that he made, right? And her comments, she decided to bring the lawsuit. And here's what she said. She said, this was about my reputation that I've built over my career. I'm my mother's child. And so she's raised me properly. Uh, if anything's synonymous with anything that's negative, if it's seen the light, it's a direct relation to what she's done in raising me and her other kids. And so I'm extremely happy. So she was not okay with being defamed in her eyes, but she's perfectly fine with defaming everybody at BYU and casting them as dangerous to what would be happening to her team. I mean, she, she's, she's a walking contradiction. I, I did not know that uh, Jim Sterk had to settle that lawsuit with, with her. Uh, b- but what I find fascinating about BYU's response to all of this is, is that, again, Don Staley gets to say, hey, my mother, my family, the way that I was raised, none of these things could be true about me, where BYU, their athletic director, can't say, hey, well, hold on. These are good kids here at our school. We've had we've been competing in athletics with diverse opponents for years, for years. No one has ever uh, leveled these kind of accusations, and no one certainly has taken these types of actions. Oh, we can't play at BYU because it's so racially hostile there. I don't understand why, I do, the the athletic director hoped that by apologizing it would just go away and everybody would move on quickly, but but that's not how things work. Once you bend that knee, they say, well, hold on, stay down there while you're on your knees. There's some some business I want you to handle while you're down there. (laughs) And that's what... Uh, that's what Don Staley, that's why she said, oh, she said, oh, we got someone bent over. And it's like, there's a gangbang going on. And so she's coming in to hop in on it. Mm-hmm. She's a low, I, 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 her privilege mm-hmm. and only a black woman could get away with that at this time, Shamika, in my view. Oh, you're absolutely right. And TJ hit the nail on the head when he said she has two things in her favor. Not only is she a black woman, she's a black lesbian. And so, of course, when it comes to the alphabet mafia, they can do whatever they want to, because if you happen to say anything against them, all of their mafia fans are gonna come after you. So she can say whatever she wants because she is a black woman, but also because she's a black lesbian. And that's what they're propping up in place now. The, the woman that's gonna be against men, especially the black men, and this woman that's supposed to be the future because the, the future is feminine, as, the, you know, as they say. And you have people like Stacey Abrams and Nicole Hannah-Jones that are just running with this whole, I'm a black female, hear me roar. Shamika. TJ, here's one thing. Um, go ahead, TJ. I was just going to add to it. I actually think it's three things. I think it's black, female, and gay. So you, each one of those things gives you a special mm. privilege. She actually went out on the True. woman thing on her own as well. If you, a, a few years back, she went right at Mark Emmert 
the commissioner of the NCAA over what she thought the amenities should have been for the women in the NCAA tournament and how the the women are not treated like the men and it's a disgrace and this whole uh, unity and uh, work together thing is just a charade. I went and looked up for 2019. These are the last figures I could find. I went and looked up the net profits for the men's NCAA tournament, March Madness, versus the women's. And this is the, the net revenue is much higher than this, but the net profits for the men, $864 million in just March Madness mm-hmm. alone. For the women, they lost $2.8 million. And she thinks that's all irrelevant. So not only is she stupid, but she takes that stupidity into giving her the, femi- the radical feminist position, She's now shown her black privilege. And at some point down the road, she hasn't done this quite yet, but we will see her gay privilege come out. Listen, I don't I don't. She's emotional, not well thought out, but I don't think she's stupid because she's getting paid quite a bit, three, four million dollars at South Carolina. And she's used her privilege, black, gay, female, the whole nine to get that money. It, it's funny, in researching for this topic, uh, when I look, went back and looked at the 2018 incident with Mizzou, I found a story where uh, uh, Frank Martin, who was the South Carolina coach at that time, uh, he was defending uh, Don Staley very passionately and strongly against what Mizzou was saying. And I, I happen to know Frank Martin Frank Martin's a high character guy. And I've read this and it was interesting. I think it was on Monday, just this past week, uh, Don Staley did an interview with Jamel Hill and she took a dump on Frank Martin and was telling some story complaining about how much more success she had than Frank Martin but his raises were better than mine. And she had to point that out to South Carolina. He went to one final four. I've won two national championships and did, you know, went to four, or at that time, one national champion, I think, and went to four uh, final fours or something at that time. And you know, how dare South Carolina pay him more than me? And, and again, that sort of logic works in this environment where we have, where no one can look at, well, hold on, he's competing in a tournament with a history that's nearly 100 years old, Uh, the competition is greater, there's only about four or five women's team every year that have any chance of winning a national championship, and it's really just one or two most years, and so she's walking up and climbing up a far easier hill than Frank Martin or any man's coach at a power five, but she's used all that logic and and the fact that no one, everyone's afraid to challenge her because if you challenge her, either you're racist, sexist, or homophobic. And and so her her logic never gets challenged. She's bullied South Carolina uh, into paying her far more than what she's actually worth. And I know she's had some success, but she's not worth that just based on the math and the money they're generating. And, and I'm, I'm happy that there's some politicians in South Carolina that are asking like real questions because what is the standard though? Literally, we're gonna cancel games 
because at a volleyball match that you weren't at, no one was at, it's televised, there's no proof, at a volleyball match something happened and therefore I can't play at BYU. And, and based off of all the research I could see, based off of what her comments were, I think this past weekend, she made this decision without consulting anybody. Wow. She didn't consult the athletic director. She didn't consult it. She woke up and said, this is what I want to do. And the athletic director is so afraid of her. He's not going to uh, challenge her because, again, if you challenge her, you're racist, sexist, or homophobic. So she's making three or four million dollars yeah. as the... Okay, so I'm gonna go get me a pair of slacks, a button-up shirt, and some loafers, <laughs> and pull my hair back to the back and, and teach people how to do a better jump shot, because my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I'm in the wrong line of business. <laughs> the audacity, though, and, and TJ, Gary Pinkle had a lot of success at Mizzou. We, we've seen a lot of male coaches uh, have a lot of success and, and they get power and but, but I, I'm t most of these coaches e they're going to consult their athletic director before making a decision of this we're canceling someone has to fix that someone has to schedule another. this was their home opener South Carolina they just won a national championship mm -hmm. and again Maybe it's not a hard problem to fix, but someone has to fix it, and you mm -hmm. don't just get to take this kind of dump on BYU without consulting the other interested, concerned, accountable partners that you're allegedly working with. But to me, South Carolina, women's college sports, the they've created Frankenstein, and eventually, mm -hmm. Don Staley's going to turn on her boss and anybody else that she feels gets in her way of how much money she thinks she deserves. Like I said, she hit the oppression trifecta. And at this point, she's invincible until somebody tells her otherwise. There's another piece of this that I think is, uh, you know, we're, we're talking about BYU. We're talking about, you know, we, uh, the some of the stupidity and how people have allowed her to just run rampant and, and do whatever she wants. But, you know, this is not a politically winning message, but I think it should be, you know, it, it's what she's saying here. And based on what you gave us with uh, the, you know, comparing it to Memphis, this is an extension of the idea that words hurt more than actions, right? To Chris, to, to quote Chris Rock, anybody who says that words hurt more than actions has never been punched in the face, right? And so she said, and you quoted this in, in your article, uh, I just wanted to make sure our players didn't have to endure that because if something happened of that manner, I don't have the words to comfort them. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to rescue them away from ever having anything uncomfortable said to them. The true message, the message that would prepare 20-year-olds to go out into the world is how about the world is hard and people will not always treat you with the respect that you should be treated with, okay? Your job is to overcome and to have mental toughness and to fight through. You will be stronger for it. It's an opportunity to develop your character while other people are showing their lack of character, right? And so... Every environment that's difficult is an opportunity for you to grow. If anything happens, I've got your back here, and I will do my part to make sure you're protected. But you worry about you. 
Don't worry about somebody who happens to be in the crowd who's revering, revealing their lack of character. That's what should have been said. And so what she's done is she's put this little protection bubble around these girls who never think they have to hear anything that makes them uncomfortable. And again, not a great word, not something that people should hear. And we should all do our part to stomp that out. But your job is to say, let me show you how to deal with that, not how to make sure you never have to deal with that, because I can't do that your whole life. This is such the antithesis of the environment I grew up in as an athlete. And again, it's like these women, they want all the same pay and opportunity as men, but do they want to put up with what men have put up with? And, and I'll cite this example, and, and I'm going to sound a little bit like Al Bundy remembering my glory high school days, but, but it's just true. We used to play a high school called Martinsville High School in Martinsville, Indiana. And we played them uh, my junior year. Uh, I th the year before, they went 11-1, had a pretty good team. But Martinsville uh, is known as the home of the KKK in Indiana. A lot of people uh, cite it as one of the early foundational places where the KKK took hold. Martinsville, as a kid, and I would even say as an adult, uh, but certainly as a young person, I no fond memories of Martinsville, some fear of Martinsville. My high school was a powerhouse school. Jeff George was our quarterback. You know, we were, but anyway, my junior year, uh, we go to play at Martinsville. Our coaches uh, told uh, our parents, stay home. Mm. Don't, 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 don't subject your parents to this environment and Martinsville. But we're going to go over there and we're going to kick their butt and then we're going to come home. And again, you know, our team was probably 50% black, 50% white or whatever. Black parents stayed home. Mm -hmm. We went over and kicked Martinsville's butt 27 to 7. Uh, <laughs> the, the, and their fans were rowdy. Uh, their fans were idiots. But we went over there and kicked their butts. And they had a pretty good team. And, and then the next year, they came to our place. And uh, we actually played them twice, played them in the regular season and in the playoffs. We beat them by like 30 points each time. And they had a good player, good players, good team, but it was a motivating thing for me. Right. Oh, I'm kicking these racists' butt. And, and it, it motivated me. And what, what's even funnier though, is I ended up meeting Martinsville's best player. He was a wide receiver named Brad Shields. Uh, he was on the same all-star football team for me postseason. One of the greatest people I ever met. He, <laughs> we really hit it off. He went on to play football at Indiana University. I, I'm not sure if he played much of it, but a great kid. I'm not saying that's all of Martinsville, because it, it certainly wasn't. But it, it was just weird and ironic. Like, I, I grew up at a time where we embrace, oh, we're going to go over and kick these white people that don't like black people. We embrace that. And these guys are running from it. Right. That that it blows my mind. Uh, Shamik, I want I want to ask you this, and then we'll we'll be done with it. But do you think Don Staley actually believes that the actions she's taking are helping black people? No, I I don't think she actually believes that. I think she's seeking attention. And I think that she is doing what a lot of women do, even though she doesn't realize maybe that she is one, 
is just seeking attention. And that's why I don't like female leaders, even looking, listening to what you were just saying about how they told the parents to stay home. Women, they do this, we have this empathy and we wanna nurture and we wanna keep people safe. And I don't think that makes the best leaders. You know, even I wasn't an athlete, but just in the band, my band director at the time, we wore these hot, like gabardine, uh, majorette outfits. We had to wear them if it was 100 degrees outside. We had to wear them if it was 30 degrees outside with our legs out and just, you know, he expected us to always be in uniform, always to be ready, all, no matter where we were. It didn't matter that men were like hollering at us sometimes or, you know, but as you pro progressed, the band now, if it's cold, they have to have on windsuits and they have a, a female band director, you know, they have to eat before the, 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 the performances and they are just baby. Kids now are baby and that's why I don't like female leadership because there is a place and a time for that nurturing, but then there's a time and a place where men and fathers tell you to kind of have a backbone and stand up and teach you how to deal with the real world. And so I don't, I don't think she thinks that she's being helpful. I, know, I think she's looking for attention, honestly. But she has some female characteristics that are just natural to us that we want to protect people. But I think she's seeking attention because this kind of had died down a little bit. I haven't heard people speaking much about it. And now she's bringing it up again. I think it's for attention. All right, uh, do you like a good snack throughout the day, but you'd rather not pack on the pounds doing it? I know that certainly describes me. I've got great news. Built Bar is here to save the day. They've got so many flavors, there's something for everyone. When you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're passionate about their favorites. They've got amazing flavors like coconut, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, cookies and cream and much more. And hey, if you can't pick a flavor right off the bat, you can get a mix box where you'll get two of each of their nine regular flavors. Built Bars have up to 18 grams of protein and they're 180 calories or less, only four to five grams of sugar and only four to five net carbs. But you wouldn't know it by tasting them because they taste amazing. You can take care of your sweet tooth and still be healthy. And now you can get your Built Bars even faster. The new URL is built.com. Go to built.com and use the promo code fearless to save 15% off your first order. Use the promo code fearless for 15% off at builtbore at built.com. Listen, you guys are watching me shrink right before your eyes. We keep this studio stocked with built bars so that when I snack, I'm not killing myself and killing my diet. And again, I'm not even on a diet. I'm not killing my lifestyle. You're watching me shrink right before your eyes. If you want to shrink, if you want to watch what you're doing, what you're eating, go to built.com. Use my promo code FEARLESS. Get 15% off. Do it right now. Be a good soldier. Uh, you can email me fear, uh, feedback at fearless at theblaze.com. Lano Squires. X.
right, welcome back. Uh, time to uh, roll out to Washington, D.C. and bring in our main man, Delano Squire, smartest man on the show. He's written another terrific column. Shamika, I don't know if you've read this, but we'll have Delano describe it. He's written a column about uh, female empowerment and how it's basically second wave feminism has driven young girls nuts. He, th he asserts they become more violent they become more uh, sexually promiscuous, and it's one of the reasons why th this whole notion that uh, women are that women have been oppressed and men live a life of privilege, that's why you see so many women say, you know what, I wanna be a man. Mm. I want that privilege of being a man. And so anyway, I'll let Delano describe uh, the conversation, but you being the mother of three and being a woman yourself, I can't wait to hear your reaction. Delano, uh, I did a decent job of describing what you wrote, but you can do a better one. Please do. I don't, that was pretty good, Jason. Um, so yeah, you, you're, you're spot on. My, my entire thesis is that um, there's a lot going on with our girls. Um, teenage girls, young women um, are exhibiting behaviors that are signs of deep, deep trouble and, and dissatisfaction in their personal lives. So I, I, I start the column talking about, to me, what seems like an increase in young girls, 13-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, engaging in serious acts of violence. I talk about two teenage girls in D.C. who attempted to carjack uh, an Uber Eats driver and end up killing him. Um, the 14-year-old charged with murder uh, in the death of, uh, I, think, I believe his name is James Lambert in Philadelphia. Her and some of her friends beat him to death with traffic cones at 2.30 in the morning. And um, a 13 and 15 year old girl um, who were arrested last week along with some male counterparts in the beating death of a taxi cab driver in New York City. And, and over and over again, I keep seeing these videos, you know, a lot of them viral videos where girls are basically acting like boys, but much worse. Like they, their fights are just as intense and sometimes even more violent. Um, and that's, that's a sign of trouble. And then I, I talked about, I brought up Brittany Renner and um, an image she posted on Twitter where she, it, it was, it was um, like something over her door and it said, it's not a whore house, it's a whore home. Um, and she was smiling. And, I mean, she's known for being controversial, but I, I, I said on Twitter, like, no, one, no woman actually wants to live this way. You know what I mean? So. You, she may have bought into this notion that being sexually promiscuous is empowering, but when, when you get people like that in their honest moments, she'll end up telling on herself. So I, I talk a little bit about that as well. So my entire position is that our girls are, are in trouble uh, between the violence, the promiscuity, and as you said, the girls who've just given up on being girls altogether, right, who, who think because they like basketball and want to wear a low haircut, that it's time to, to cut off their breasts and get a, a, a hysterectomy. Um, all of those things are signs of trouble. But this is not a complete gloom and doom column. I end by talking about the, the positive influence that I believe many Christian women, particularly ones who are online, can have and are having in this conversation who, who paint a, a better picture of femininity um, and provide an alternate path from what you know, the feminist icons from the 60s have, have laid out to girls. So these are women, the ones that I'm talking about, um, are ones 
who believe that femininity as God created it is a good thing and that family is a good thing and that marriage is a good thing um, as opposed to what the culture says, which is women, you're you're divine, worship yourself, um, you know, pursue career at all costs, even if it means forsaking family, um, kill your own offspring and be and act as bad as you want to act, act just as bad as the boys. Um, so, so I think there's cause for concern, and but ultimately, my point is, you know, th there are some rays of hope there. What a lot of what you wrote about, obviously, very fascinating to me. I, I just spent some time out of town and was just blown away, and it made me think about the cultural rot and the ramifications particularly as it relates to black people and the destruction of family structure. And, and again, it's, it's an issue that's running through all of America, but it's most acute in us. And, and we act like there are no ramifications for it. There are no consequences for our entire family structure being obliterated. And, and I'm like, the ramifications, the consequences are so obvious they're staring us in the face virtually every day. Young people have virtually no respect for the older generation. And I'm not even sure if we're in position to demand the respect because we didn't raise them properly. And so you actually get what you invest in. It's no different than a 401k. If we haven't invested in kids, why should we expect them to respect us and the return that kind of loyalty that, that you see passed on generation to generation. There should be, you know, I was raised in a fashion that makes me be like, well, I'm gonna take care of my mother and father as they get older and blah, blah, blah. And, and I, I just don't see, and then when I look at, uh, I feel like, and this could be my bias, but the, the, the sexual dysfunction, the, uh, it, it just seems, Gay is the new black. And, and I don't know if we should be surprised by that, given the fact that we, we seem quite comfortable with our family structure being in total disarray. Yeah, and I think we're pushing it. When you say that it's right here before our eyes, we can see how the children have changed now. Not only do they not respect authority, they don't respect themselves. Something that we used to do uh, when we were growing up, we cared about how people looked at us. We cared about whether or not I, we were gonna get in trouble with our mom. I can remember doing things and not even thinking about the law. I would say, my mama's gonna kill me because we respected them and uh, we walked a certain way because we also respected ourselves sales and it bothers me that in the black community we're not seeing exactly what has happened and we're not seeing that women being in competition with men instead of trying to complete men has caused our children not to have anybody at home focus on their upbringing and their nurturing and for you know trying to produce productive citizens out here and when we see the young girls there was a young lady, I just got a video last week where she was in the classroom and one of the assistant principals came in to address her because she was acting up in the class. 
He was a male, but she tried to stand toe to toe with him and was cursing him out and was telling him that she would beat his ASS. And she really believed that she could. And I think part of that is because women are lying there, naturally, we are nurturers, but women have decided, I want to be the man. So there's this war going on inside of them. If they were so happy, they wouldn't be so angry. And I'm talking about from the top to the bottom. These elite women who are so bitter and who are so angry and who just hate men so much. I think it's because there's this war going on within them and they're lying, having to portray that they want to be these powerful uh, CEOs because they they don't want to be oppressed and they don't want to be less than because they're women when naturally you are nurturers naturally you are put here for men and so if you're going to have this going on within you you're going to be angry you're going to be mad and we're seeing our young daughters be more angry than we ever were because we've continuously pushed on them that they have to be more masculine, they have to be more powerful, and they want to be these boss bitches and be in charge. And we're constantly pushing a message on them that wars with their very nature and who women were created to be. Delano, I'm going to let you jump back in here. Is that what you see? You're raising a daughter, you and your wife, at least one daughter, I believe. Is that what yeah. you see? I, Shamika hit the nail right on the head. Honestly, I, I think, uh, one, I have never met um, a self-described feminist or a woman who talks about smashing the patriarchy who I would characterize as at peace or content with her life, right? Always bitter, always angry. Um, now, she, a, a lot of these women will say, well, I, I, don't, I don't need a man, I don't want a man. I, you know, I got my friends, I go out to brunch, I do whatever. But to Shamika's point, one of the most frustrating things you can do in your life is to fight against nature. Because a fight against nature is a fight against God. and He's undefeated. So it will be as if I, I keep, I spend my entire life, every day of my life, throwing objects up in the air and then hoping that they stick. And then when they come down and they smack me in the head, I get upset about it. Well, just because I'm trying to fight against gravity. And in the same way, these, these women who think that they don't need men and uh, I said, uh, towards the end of the piece, I said, you know, this country, our culture, we've been discipled by ideologues who believe seriously that a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. Um, and then we turn around and wonder why so many kids are growing up without fathers, right? But everything that they do tries to recreate what it is that they say that they reject, right? So that that part of them that is nurturing and oftentimes desires to be mothers and wants to have children um when when that doesn't happen and sometimes because of decisions that they make okay i'll be a mom to a few puppies or a cat or some other type of pet right um when they say well i, I don't really want a man i don't need a man so on and so on and so forth they'll either get with a woman who tries to you know, use some sort of prosthetic device to uh, uh, mimic the, the, the male experience, or they'll just get something from the store, put a few batteries in it, and say, well, it's good enough, right? So at the end of the day, um, men need women, and women need men, because we were created for one another. And one of the things, yes, it's true, and I said it in the piece, that children need their fathers, obviously. But one of the reasons I talk so much about marriage in this context is because sometimes 
um, we pull the fam we disembody the family and make it seem as if the well, fathers are only good for children. But there, there's something, I have to believe that there's something unique that I bring to my wife's life and that she brings to mine, wherein we need one another, right? That, that's companionship, that's love, that's all different types of personal fulfillment. But my relationship, my role in my home is not just towards my children. And I think, you know, to Shamika's point, a, a lot of that is missing. And I think a lot of these women are angry. And, and these are the women who, either because they have children themselves or because of the, in, the outsized influence they have in the culture, they have been nursing the younger generations for a long time. And one thing I, I learned about kids, and Shemika could probably attest to this, you, you, can, you can smell the, the mother's breast milk on the baby's breath, right? So when it's rancid, you know exactly where the child got it from. And, and the type of things that we see in our culture you, there's the milk's gone bad. I'll just leave it like that. I, I wonder if I'm just an old fuddy-duddy. I'm turned into my parents, but you know, I was at a hotel uh, this weekend, and young dude came through the hotel, no shirt on, jeans with a belt on, but below his butt cheeks and he could barely walk. He was walking funny to keep the pants up. And, and, and I just looked and I was just, I was so bothered, upset, and was just like, now he's somebody's son. Somebody, mm. you know, and the dude looked like he was 25 to 30 years old or whatever. And I just couldn't imagine myself presenting myself that way in public, but I also was like, Maybe I'm just old, and, and maybe everybody else looks and sees that and thinks nothing and just says, well, that's just the fashion of the day, and it's, it's no different than, I don't know, fashion statements that I made to my father. You know, my father always wanted me to wear a suit and tie, and early in my life, in my career, I didn't. And so maybe it's, maybe it's all the same, but I just couldn't imagine. Dude, he could barely walk, right. and he's in a hotel, mm -hmm. no shirt on, no, and he, nice looking woman with him, I gotta give him that. And, but I was just, am I just old? No, I don't think you're just old. I think you were raised with morals and values because my children are young, but my daughters don't like when they see uh, young men with their pants sagging and hanging. My middle daughter is very conscious about what she's wearing that is not too revealing or is not too sexy. That has nothing to do with age. I think that has everything to, to do with the values instilled that we are not instilling across the board now. We want so much to be friends with our children instead of rearing them uh, properly that we're letting them just run them up knowing that kids can't make the right decision all the time. I knew a young man who in the eighth grade said he wanted to be Spider-Man when he grew up. Now, if we would have just ran with that, we would have said, hey, throw yourself out a window, see if you can go down. But you have to, it's up to us as adults to rear these children the right way, train a child in the way that they should go. And parents are not training children anymore. They're trying to be friends. Delano, yeah. I'm going to ask you this and let you go and set up our, our next conversation with Tennessee Harmony. I know you have, I've asked you, you haven't seen Honk for Jesus. Uh, and, and I'm going to ask you this because I'm not sure if I'll get into it in the discussion with them. But 
One of the things the movie Honk for Jesus will discuss in Tennessee Harmony coming up in a bit with uh, Pastor Anthony Shamika and Virgil Walker is, is because again, I don't know if this will come up, but I think you'll have a great take on it. The, the, the thing the movie doesn't get at because the minister and the first lady, they don't have kids. And, and one of the things I've thought about, and maybe we've ta talked about on this show, is like the black church isn't even focused on the development of family. There, there's not a lot of pressure within, hey, you better get married. And, you know, this, you know, God's design for you is to be in a marriage, man and woman, raising child. And it seems like that sort of ministry, because we're certainly not getting those types of results from the black church. They're not marrying their congregants. Some will say, well, there's no men inside the church. They're all in jail or they're all hanging out on the street corner or whatever. But one thing about men, uh, even in this generation, even though many of them are turning gay, but men like to be in environments with women uh, who they can procreate with. And so it, it seems like the church would be a great place to be promoting family, but it's not. And, and I, I wonder why it's not. So I, I'll say a couple of things here because um, Jason, as I, I think I told you, I was recently at a conference out in Ohio, right in, you know, close to Cincinnati. And um, it was a Christian conference. And I mean, I say on average, the people there, the families there had about six kids. I met a couple couples and the vast majority white. So this is not, you know, the black church per se. Um, but it was just a stark difference. Part of it is, I think, because it was, you know, it wasn't, you know, right in the city. So it was some, uh, you know, suburban, so to speak, between Cincinnati and Kentucky. Um, but I mean, I met families that had 10 kids, 11 kids, and that they seemed content. And I was telling some of the guys that at my age, the only two things that make me envious of any dude is if they have a better beard than I do or if they have more children than I do. Because I said, well, my three little kids, it's like a wedding night starter pack up of that side. But um, as it relates to, to the black church, um, I don't want to paint with a broad brush because when we say the black church, um, I'll say there's two main things, two main churches moving in parallel directions that people think about. One is the more social justice oriented church that's majority black, right? They come from the historical lineage of King. And then you have the more prosperity, prosperity oriented black church. So think of, you know, the TD Jakes and so on. And actually I'll add a third. I would say these are more theologically conservative black churches. Um, so this would be someone like, you know, Vody Bakum or um, out of Shamika's home state. I think his name is Bishop Wooten or Wooden. Um, he's, he's over a Kojic church. And, and he is, again, he, he's going to talk about male and female and God's created order and marriage and so forth. But when it comes to some of those prosperity churches, because I've been to some of them, they, they do talk about marriage. They promote it. They have singles ministries to try to bring people together because they see marriage as something that, that God values and they see children as a blessing. Now, 
I'm not saying in those churches you're going to see a black family walk in with 12 kids because a lot of those churches, at least the ones I've been to, which are right outside of metropolitan areas, it's still the typical two to three children, you know, because of all the advances in technology and so on and so forth. You know, you leave that 10 kid stuff to the rural people. But in the more social justice oriented churches, the ones that take their marching orders from the left, um, you may get pro-marriage messages, but they will only circulate within the church. Whenever these pastors um, speak to the public in terms of their public profiles, some of the names we've talked about here, the William Barbers, the Jamal Bryants, the, the uh, Howard John Wesley's, um, some of these bigger names, they are going to talk about marriage equality, quote unquote, so same sex marriage, um, abortion, um, and now probably getting more into the gender ideology stuff. Because to them, talking about marriage publicly makes it seem as if there's something wrong with the black community because we're not doing X, Y, and Z. And for them, they have to keep all of their focus on what they see as white supremacy. So it's always about what white people are doing, either to tear down our democracy, quote unquote, or to advance systemic racism and white supremacy in one way or the other. And that's, that's the main reason you don't see any sort of mainstream black liberal leaders who talk about marriage and family as essential for the black community to thrive. The last one who did it was President Obama, and the only people who criticized him were people on his left. And nobody else has taken up that mantle since then because, and this goes to something that Shamika was saying, um, in our community, when you talk about personal responsibility, when you talk about things that we should do, when you talk about upholding your family name and not behaving in certain ways in public, they call that respectability politics. Because to them, they think that, they think that black people like us want our kids to behave a certain way so that they can be accepted by white people. Right? That's, that's, not why, that's not why I train my kids the way that I do. I, I, I want them to be uh, uh, reflective of the God that, that their parents serve. I want them to be image bearers in that way. And I want them to do things that will benefit them. I don't tell my kids not to steal so that they can be seen as acceptable to white folk because no white folk live in my neighborhood, right? I, I'm not raising my kids for somebody else. But this is how that, that group of uh, black folk tend to think. And it's in the church and it's within sort of the, the mainstream democratic left. So you're right, they don't talk about marriage. Um, they don't talk about children as a blessing. In fact, they talk about children as a burden who need to be eliminated um, because they see abortion as sacrosanct and they see the ability to, the right, quote unquote, to kill your child as one of the keys to black liberation. Sorry, you taking a bunch of notes. You need, <laughs> you need to jump in here. Well, I was going to say Bishop Wooten, he is going to preach the Bible. He is the one, um, one of the ones that endorsed uh, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. So I really do like him. And Jamal Bryant, uh, Delano brought him up. He can't preach family and marriage because he was too busy cheating on his wife. <laughs> and and um, one of the things that also does bother me, yes, when they think that we're actually teaching our children this because we want them to be accepted. 
I can't stand that with black people. Like I run into that a lot online. They'll say, oh, you're saying that in front of like on this show because you know you have white people in the audience and you want to make them happy. No, I'm saying that because I actually have eyes and I can see what's happening in the community and the culture and I want us to change it. I don't care who's in the audience. I have a love and a heart for people. And if I see people going astray, I'm going to speak out about it. I hate the idea that we can't say certain things because people think we're trying to get brownie points with white people and that we can't raise our children a certain way because we're just trying to get them to be liked by white people. No, I'm raising my children the way that I think that they should live their lives. And that's mm -hmm. so crazy, you know, and Delano brought that up. It happens so much and it gets on my last nerve. Guys, I gotta run. Uh, who was among the first people to challenge the narrative in the BYU-Duke volleyball case. It wasn't the mainstream media. Who brought you the facts about Serena Williams' place in tennis history? It wasn't ESPN. It was fearless. If you've watched this show long enough, you know I do not back down to the mob. I start the conversations that the rest of the media is afraid to discuss, and we do it with integrity and honesty. We know there is one thing that has no place on big tech social media platforms, the truth. How many times have voices like Steven Crowder been punished by big tech for, for putting a toe across their line? That's why I'm on Blaze TV. It's the platform for free speech loving Americans where we can have the conversations not allowed by Silicon Valley overlords. So if or when there's retaliation, I'll still be on Blaze TV doing exactly what I do here, being fearless. If you're not yet a subscriber, now's a great time to become one. Use the promo code FEARLESS20 for $20 off your first year of Blaze TV. It's not just me there, it's Steven Crowder, Glenn Beck, Steve Dace, and so many more good men and women fighting the good fight. Join today, let's make sure we continue building the Fearless Army. Offer valid through this Saturday, September 11th. Log on to blazetv.com and use the promo code FEARLESS20 for $20 off your first year. Be fearless, join Blaze TV today. Guys, I need you to do this. Big tech is going to come for us. We need to have our plan B, which is really our plan A, already in place. Join Blaze TV, be a good fearless soldier. You always want access to this content and you need to strengthen the place and the people and the business that's backing up your point of view. Join Blaze TV today. All right, stick around. Tennessee Harmony. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.
All right, welcome back. Uh, time for my favorite part of the show, uh, Tennessee Harmony. Pastor Anthony Walker uh, is uh, here with us. Shamika uh, is here with us. Uh, I do want to announce we're going to uh, lean more uh, into Pastor Anthony on the show in general and in, in Tennessee Harmony. Uh, probably, Pastor Bobby Harrington may rejoin us at some point, but he's moved on to some of his other responsibilities. And so uh, Anthony has done an awesome job and we're gonna lean more into Anthony and maybe not just on Wednesdays, but uh, throughout the rest of the week. Anthony's quite the sports fan and, and fits the brand of this show uh, in virtually every way. And so uh, I just wanted to make that little bit of, of, of an announcement. Uh, and so Anthony, if you would uh, bless this conversation and then we'll get into it. Father God, we're thankful for the opportunity to uh, share on this platform. We're thankful uh, for the opportunity to communicate your truth uh, to the masses. Father, bless us in our discussion and bless the things that we share, and we pray that everything that we say and do is pleasing in your sight. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so guys, and, and Virgil Walker's here with us as well via Skype. I, f I forgot about that, but uh, I saw a movie, uh, or Shamika saw it first, and then said, hey, if you, and I've, it was on my list, Honk for Jesus, to see. You reminded me to go see it. I went and saw it two days ago. Uh, at the theater, and I want to talk about this movie. There's a lot to unpack. Honk for Jesus is a satirical look at a mega black church. I think that's a fair description of it. And I went into it with a lot of baggage, expecting to hate it. Uh, and so I hate watched it while I was there. I had a scowl <laughs> on my face the entire time, like, man, they they killing the black church, they killing us. I was uncomfortable, and, I, and when I left, I was like, this was terrible. It's a D minus F movie, this is terrible. And then the more I sat with it and thought about it, and how emotional I was watching the movie, I was like, no, this was an effective movie. And maybe it was holding a mirror up to us, and maybe this was a, a fairer movie than what I'm giving it credit for. So guys, I just wanna, I wanna start there and we'll go ladies first. Start with just a very simple question, Honk for Jesus, is, and it depicts an Eddie Long type character and his wife and the relationship between the, the lead minister and his wife and they've lost their mega church because of impropriety. Sexual impropriety is implied and that's where the Eddie Long aspect of it, they're basically saying, this black minister was gay and you know lost his mega church and now he's trying to rebuild it and they're basically out on the street holding up signs honk for Jesus uh, so let's start with just a simple question and we'll go Shamika first Anthony and then we'll bring uh, Virgil in was this a good enjoyable movie my initial reaction was this was trash that was what I said at first when it went off. I looked at my daughter who was there because my mom had called and said, hey, I got you and your daughter tickets to go see this movie. My grandmother was there, my mm. godmom was there. So we went as a family and I was really tired. Like I had hung out the night before, so I didn't want to go. But since my mom had got tickets, I was like, I'm going to go. I looked at my daughter when it went off and I was like, 
this was trash. <laughs> <laughs> and I think because it wasn't like a wake up call for me. It was things that I had already observed about the church. Mm -hmm. And so it was almost just sitting there watching like, okay, yeah, this is what the black church is like, in my opinion. So it wasn't a wake up call. Whereas I think a lot of people went in there and it was like, wow, either they were mad because they feel like that's not what the church is like, or there were people that said, mm, this is gonna hold a mirror to people in the church for them to see that this is what it's like. And for me, I came to that conclusion years ago. So I was sitting watching something that I had seen in church 10 years ago. Mm. Mm. So you still stand by trash? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, it wasn't really enjoyable probably because of the rated R aspect of it. Like, I think they took that. But honestly, you know, as we talked, a lot of that is in the culture today. Um, the only thing that gave it any kind of saving grace from my aspect is some of the stuff is the truth. They pushed the limit a little bit, but some of that was true. And one of the things that was true that may not be as obvious in the movie was just the pressure of ministry that you know, that couple dealt with, the pressure that they dealt with. Some of that does hit real. Now, how they dealt with it, obviously, I could care less. But, um, yeah, this is about, about a C minus for me. Uh, Virgil, your take? Well, uh, first of all, you, you called me and asked me to, to, to watch it. I'm glad I didn't go to the, to the theater to watch it because I, I probably would have left very upset. Um, it, it was absolute trash, but at the same time, uh, for me, it was a it was lived experience. Uh, it was something that that I you know I had lived out, not in the way that uh, I I used to attend Higher Dimensions Evangelistic Center where Carlton Pearson was the pastor. There's a movie that's done mm. about him uh, called Come Sunday, and you can watch that on yeah. Netflix. Uh, watching that whole experience unfold in real time. All it did was remind me of, you know, of, of the experience that was depicted in the movie. This is just kind of the, the stereotypical kind of a black church prosperity gospel kind of preaching pastoral issues that, that you see time and time again in the black church. And it's unfortunate uh, that it is. There was, a, there was a point at which, man, I, I, I literally I have to be honest, I had to turn it off uh, because it was just it was it was too uh, just uh, unbelievable. I mean, I shouldn't say. Let me let me let me rephrase that. It was it was so it was so realistic that it was unbelievable to me that someone depicted it on a screen in the way that they had. That's probably a better way to say what I'm trying to say. Uh, but yeah, there came a point at which I just I just got sick to my stomach uh, and and just shut it off, uh, knowing where things were going to go and what was going to happen. But again, I I think I think to the point. Jason, for, for you even challenging us to, to take a look at the movie, I think there's a broader conversation that needs to be had around the, the, the anemic aspect of the black church in a culture that's so vulnerable and, need, and needs the church. Uh, what's, what's taken place? What's transpired? I think that's a, that's a welcomed conversation to have. I, of course, didn't need to spend any money or time watching the movie to come to that conclusion. It all sounds like we're saying the same thing that because and that's where I'm telling you, I started out trash, left there angry, 
But I'm now coming to the conclusion that maybe that's exactly what they wanted me to feel. And maybe they wanted to call us out and put a mirror to our face. And, and, and for me, when I left there, one of the things, and, and I've made a great deal of progress as it relates to my language and cussing. Yeah. I, I've made a great deal of progress. I, I'm, I don't say this with any bragging, just transparency. The word MF was probably my favorite word in the dictionary. I used it all the time. I grew up, and I got, just keeping it real, I grew up at my father's bar, the Masterpiece Lounge, and before that, Jimmy's J Bar J, and that's how people greeted each other. And that's how, it was a term of affinity and affection, and, and I used MF that way. That's my MF, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, I have a very foul tongue, and I've, Tony Dungy, three, four years ago, called me out on my language. Like, hey man, you, you, you saying you're a Christian brother of mine and you talking this way? Hey, mm-hmm. Jason, do better. Mm-hmm. And, and I immediately said, you know, I gotta do better. If Tony Dundee's calling me out and, and, and that's what this movie hammered home to me because it was so profane. Yeah. Not just, uh, it was the minister, his wife, and everybody that was, because they, they had it fictionalized that everybody in the city was talking about the fall of this minister. They'd call into radio talk shows and everybody's dropping the N-word and other cuss words and all this profanity. And I was like, oh my God, is this how we sound? Because I was looking and I was like, I don't want to sound anything like that ever again. And that's when I started having that conclusion. That's when I started going, this is an effective piece of satire and art if it's provoking a grown person like me to convict myself and and spark this kind of emotion then maybe you know i think most stuff coming out of hollywood is done to destroy us i felt like this movie is actually done to shake us up and maybe make us want to do better. That, that is the feeling I come away, but it, it, particularly from Virgil and, and Shamika, I'm hearing y'all live this experience and therefore don't want to relive it in a movie. But I, ha- I grew up in a very small, small church and my experiences have been with small churches, not mega churches. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I don't know this experience. I don't, and, and of, of that kind of pressure. But anyway, I, I'm kind of rambling. I want Shamika or any of you guys to jump back in here. I, 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 the profanity and just like, it's hard to be taken, it was hard for me to take any of them seriously. When that young mother was holding her two year old baby and her and the first lady of the church were cussing at each other back and forth, I was sick to my stomach. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I've seen a lot of profanity, but the nastiness, like the passive aggressiveness, Ooh, I've yeah. seen that in yeah. with women in the church for a very long time. So the scene in the mall where the woman couldn't really, you know, come out and say what she wanted but to say, but she it. was like yeah. nice, nasty yeah. type, yeah. that happens all the time. And so that I was completely familiar with. Yeah. And so 
I did notice the profanity, but I'm not very familiar with pastors just cursing like it's nothing. I will say that. But the nice, nasty, especially mm -hmm. under a female pastor that I was for a little while. Oh, it was nothing for you to have uh, what was should have been a private meeting. And then it's preached over the pulpit. Ooh. And it's so descriptive that it would be very easy for the people in the congregation yeah. to know exactly mm -hmm. who it is. And your business just be out there and, you know, the digs that come across the pulpit. I've experienced that and I'm so used to it. So when I saw them kind of being catty with each other, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is what happens in What'd church. What do you think about the rap scene in the car? <laughs> Nuck till we buck or the, 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 <laughs> that? <laughs> that was hilarious to me. It was funny, but I feel like I'm so far removed from the church that nothing just surprises me anymore. Mm. But... Um, yeah, that it, so that I found that funny because it just seems so extreme. Like I said, I haven't seen my pastors curse and act out in that way. So that seemed really extreme to me. And I was able to laugh at that part. But I'm pretty sure it happens. Well, you know, literally, this is a great question for Anthony, because they seem to be uh, depicting about a minister that was about 40, I would think. Yeah about your age. Yeah. And so what did you think of that? They got a scene where the minister and the first lady are in their car driving up uh, to their competitor's church and they're doing the whole rap song. Is it, what's it called? Nuck till you buck? Nuck if, if you buck. buck. Nuck yeah. if you buck or whatever. Yeah. And they knew every lyric and it's very profane. What did you think of that? <sighs> I'll say this. Um, when you're saved, you know, yes, you've transformed your life, you change what you do, et cetera, but you still know, you know, that stuff. You still know those songs. So, but the idea that that scene brought up to me though, there's three words that I looked at, three themes that I looked at in this movie that I saw the element of truth, competition, the cosmetic mm -hmm. nature of it, and the cover up. So the whole idea of competition. Mm -hmm. You know, competition exists not just in the black church, but in black culture to some degree. And you may even call it comparison. You know, we're always kind of looking at one another. One of the first three questions a, me a man will ask another man is, what do you do? I'm measuring you up. I'm, we're competing. So the fact that this as they're going over there, they're just trying to hype themselves up. That's a locker room scene, basically trying to, OK, yeah, they think there's something Let's go over here and see what's going on. So I saw the competition, but you notice it through the whole movie. So there's a whole dynamic of them looking at the other church and even the younger couple that's supposed to be the young up and couple, you know, up and coming couple. Even they have a little bit of that in them. Like, you know, as they're saying, when we get to your level, I hear that amongst ministers sometimes. They're thinking that there's this kind of and, and I, I keep trying to remind myself, like, the real scoreboard is saving souls. Like, I'm not trying to compete with how many members y'all got and whatever. I hope it's because if you winning, good. Uh, God is winning. Um, you know, but, but that whole competition piece is what I saw in that. So, yeah. Virgil, I'll throw it to you, and then, Anthony, you jump in as well. Uh, as an athlete, part of me said, you know, competition just makes you better. And that competition within churches 
tell me why why it's bad. I'm not saying I, I I think that, but I'm just saying as an athlete, I said that competition makes everybody better. As a business person, competition <laughs> makes everybody better. Why doesn't competition work in a church environment? Yeah, I I, I think a great question that, that you asked. I think I think the main reason is because it ain't your church, right? This exactly. the church is not your church. Uh, it's not. It doesn't have your name on it. It didn't. It, it wasn't blood bought by you. Uh, the church was blood bought by Christ. Uh, so it's it's not your church. It does not belong to you. You you are simply uh, a, a servant, uh, an under shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you understand that and you read the book, which tells you uh, that that you that your team wins, uh, you don't have to worry about competition. I'm not trying to gain or obtain anybody over you. I recognize that God is sovereignly in control of everything uh, in this world. And those church members who are going to be at my church are going to be there based upon the, the way that God has organized and orchestrated the, the, the world in which we live. So there's not the idea of, of competition with regard to that. I, I, the other thing I, I would say to, uh, regarding what you mentioned earlier, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll turn it back over to Anthony, and that is just simply, uh, I think you give these the ladies who did the movie uh, way too much credit uh, in that you, you, the thought being that they wanted us to view something and, and reflect. Uh, I think these were women who were hurt by ch- by the church, and this was this was their cathartic kind of ex- their, their counseling experience. Uh, they put it all on a on a screen, uh, and they walked away from it. And after when I had a chance to go back, and because again I knew that I, I, after I think it was the Nuck when you buck scene where they were driving home the first time and all the cuss, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna have to shut this off. Uh, and in an effort to 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 be uh, be have integrity with regard to having coming on and, and talking about it. I need to do some other study. Who are these women? Uh, who, who put this movie together? Why were they putting the movie together? I watched quite a bit of, of footage of, of them talking about this was their church experience. A- and just like them, that was my church experience. I think the difference between us both was the road that they went down ended up pointing you in a, in a direction to, 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 to throw stones at the church or to expose the church, let's just say it that way, to expose the church, but never really pointing anyone to the solution. And, and, and that's what I found problematic. Again, it was a, it was a, the movie is a, is a comedy. Uh, it, it, it's perhaps not designed to point you in the right direction, but I know, I know quite a few comedians who will, will show you what's, what's chaotic or crazy, but then also at the same time point you to what's right, good, and true. And so they had no obligation to do anything. Uh, They did what they did based upon where they stood their worldview. Um, At the end of the day, I'm examining that worldview. I'm examining where they are. And I'm simply saying they've definitely been hurt by the church. But I'm not sure that the healing has taken place other than the fact that they've walked away from anything related to organized religion. They have spirituality that they claim, all kinds of things, but nothing in the way of of a, of a Christian kind of church experience based upon what I researched and found. So, and I'll toss this to you, Anthony. I love that answer, but I, I somewhat disagree just as a journalist and as a provocateur. Uh, sometimes I'm going to defend these ladies and, and, and say, and again, I haven't done all that deep dive of, of what their motives were. I'm just judging them based off this movie is, is one of the issues we have, I think in America, 
with everybody, but I do think it's acute with us is like, we're in denial about problems. Mm -hmm. And if somebody doesn't say, no, 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 here's the problem and here's what it looks like, we never get to a solution because we just go, well, well, that's just Eddie Long. That's the Carlton guy that you referenced. But the whole of the church, blah, blah. and to me, I think what I'm hearing from Shamika, from even you, Virgil, a little bit, and, and my own understanding is that maybe the problems aren't as bad as what's depicted in this movie, but there are some major problems within the whole black church. You mentioned the cosmetic aspect mm -hmm. of, mm -hmm. of you know, everybody dressing up and it's a fashion show and there's a whole competition around that. Mm -hmm. What was right. it? Competition, cosmetics, and then there was another C word. The cover up. The cup, yeah. Oh, and yeah, then yeah. <laughs> if there is a problem, there's no transparency. Yeah. yeah. And, and so we never get to a solution. We just keep competing, keep dressing up, and keep covering up. And, and to me, my takeaway, Virgil, I can only talk about how the movie hit me. It makes me want to do better. It, 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 whatever, I don't know what their agenda and goal is, but I would like to meet them and, and say, hey, I'm sorry this happened. And, and it sparked, at least amongst us, for a conversation where we can get to, hey, what are the solutions? Mm -hmm. How real are these problems that they're talking about? And how do we address them. See, that's that what he just mentioned, though, that was the minus part of my C in that it just told the negative experience. There wasn't a salvation at the end. There wasn't a resolution at the end. It even leaves you on that cliffhanger. You don't I mean, you kind of know what may happen, but you really don't know how it resolves. I was looking at it like, OK, does the younger couple now do they go on with the same attitude that they took? Now they're top dogs. Now oh, they got, were definitely headed that direction. You see, but you see how it went, you know, but they started out humbly and now they're going that way. There wasn't that resolution. So not even knowing who the directors were, producers or whatnot, I got the, okay, so now how does this, what was the solution? Uh, but as it relates even to, you know, this whole cosmetic nature, we like for it just to look good. And, and, and if it looks good, we think it is good. And so as they kept going through the movie, there's more clothes, there's more this, there's more hats. Their problems were getting worse, but she's out shopping. Let me, okay, let me just make this up. And so what happens as it relates to reality, not film, but reality is if we never do uh, any real resolution to our problem, if we never get down and say, hey, wait a minute, no, this is an issue here. We got to take care of this. We just can't, you know, put makeup on or get another hat or get a new building or build something else. If we never get to it, then we just pass that problem on to the next generation. Personally, I think we're putting the responsibility of, of the solution on the wrong person. Mm. The solution is for the pastors that stand up every Sunday morning and have these people up under them to live Jesus. The scripture says, you know, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. Yep. And so that is what I think the issue should be. 
lifting Jesus. That was one of the parts of the movie that really irritated me when he constantly said, I'm trying to save souls. Right. I'm trying to save souls. Well, it's not for you to save the soul. <laughs> Jesus saves, not man. And so I think what we have to get back to is, you know, for these pastors in the church to remember to lift Jesus. It's not about you. It's not about the clothes you have or the material possessions that you own. Lift Jesus because he's supposed to do the drawing. Yeah. And I think churches have gotten so uh, into trying to draw people with other things, which is why we were talking about the mime thing. Oh and I gosh. said, you know, that's in the church. It's in the church deeply and a lot, and it's widespread. You have the the, the mime, the dance, you have everything that kind of looks worldly so that you can draw people. And so it's like, what about the Jesus aspect? It's, it's missing in a lot of churches. The mime thing. That's my cover up. <laughs> I had never, I was unaware. Oh. And so when I called Shamika and was talking about the movie, I was like, boy, that mind thing, they, they were trying to say that he put a full clown suit on his wife. She's trying to be loyal to him. And Shamika was like, no, you know, they do that mind. And, and I was like, what? What's yeah. I no, haven't really seen do. it. Yeah. I, 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 is it how commonplace is it? Very. <laughs> like it, it's it's it, it's we don't have it in our church, but there, there are there are churches that do all kinds of things like she was talking about, all, all kinds of dance and mime. And it's in, it's a variation of interpretive dance. So they're gonna be playing, like, like they did on the movie, they're gonna be playing a song and dancing to it and it's gonna get you in this kind of mood of, oh wow, and you're paying attention to the song and seeing them dance and oh wow. But all of those things take away from the actual truth. Yeah. I'm not opposed to you know, events, ministries, programs, but at the end of the day, this has to point to Jesus. Shamika makes a, a great point. We're lifting up Jesus. One of the things we do at our church, you know, we have a big citywide uh, backpack giveaway, but what I want people, everybody to leave with, you know, I'll, I'll be there with our ministry team and we're giving away thousands of backpacks. And when I'm talking to the people pulling up, getting a backpack, oh wow, thank y'all for this and this. I said, this is on Jesus. Like this is on God. And, and it, it, as they come, I'm reminding them this is on God. This is not because we're just so wealthy and all that. No, 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 no. God has put us in a pl place to do this and you need to get to know him. It always needs to point back to God. Yeah. But back to the cover up. If we're not really getting to the problem that was in, you want to go back to that car scene? The car scene shows that in a time where they should be focusing on prayer and getting a right relationship, they're feeding themselves filth. Mm -hmm. and, and it comes out in his language through the movie like it's just a filthy. He's not really feeding himself in God's word. Feeding so that's flesh. that truth mm -hmm. that they don't get to. They just cover it up. Oh, we'll just do something else. We'll cover up. And in so many instances, you know, we would rather cling to a pretty lie than to embrace the ugly truth. Well, I, I would, my takeaway on him, and Virgil, I'm gonna throw this back in your plate, is like the mistake in, I forget the, the minister's name or the, the fake minister's name in the movie, but it, to me it was like, I'm trying to save people, and I'm like, brother, you need to be saved. Yeah. Why aren't you somewhere? Because yeah. again, they thought it was a joke. Uh, remember when they went and met with the younger preacher, 
They thought they were there to get some marriage counseling. Mm-hmm. And we, don't, we don't need no we counseling. Don't need no. We don't. I'm like, hold right. on, oh, man. You're still in love with dudes. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't need no counseling. Yeah. You're going to lead a church while you just, you know. So that was my, my takeaway as it related to that. But Virgil, I want to I want to circle back to you in terms of the, the, your critique of the producers and the ladies that, and this is where I thought Shamika was going to go, but I'm going to go there. I'm not looking for these female producers of this movie to fix anything. I'm looking for some men to fix what's wrong with the church. It's not on, these women to me did their job. They look at the mess y'all created. Mm -hmm. And, and, And so now I'm looking at me and everybody else like, what are we gonna do about it? I'm not expecting these ladies or Shamika to fix it. No, I, I don't disagree with 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 that. I, I and I, I would argue a couple of things. I, as as you guys were talking, there were so many times I wanted to jump back in, and I want to be be careful of of, of over talk. But I, I will tell you this: um, you had mentioned earlier that you know th- that what they did was helpful because it caused you to to maybe take a look and reflect uh, at where we are and what we're doing. And I, I think that's that, that's a good thing. Uh, at the end of the day, I think those of us who know and love God are always examining. Uh, our lives against the backdrop of what we see, right? The, the very nature of the gospel is transformative. Our hearts should change. And as a result, we have a different lens by which to view the world. So whenever we see something wrong, we're examining that to say, am, am I the problem? We start with ourselves. That's the very nature of, of, of gospel transformation. I'm going to start with me. Before I point at you or someone down the road, I need to look at me. And, and I think, Jason, what you demonstrated, even in watching the movie with that was your heart. You came away from trash and said, how can I look at this trash and examine my own life to make sure it doesn't look like what I just saw on the on the movie screen? Uh, unfortunately, everybody that was depicted in that movie did not do any of that. Uh, none of them were doing any self-reflection. Not a one of them were doing any self-examination. And, and so that's what should have been apparent. That You mentioned uh, the fact that... that uh, what the ladies did was helpful because we often don't know the problems, don't uh, don't address the problems. And, and I'm going to push back and say we absolutely do know what the problem is. Uh, everybody who was at Eddie Long's church, folks knew what the problem was. They, they wanted to suppress what they knew because they were liking the lifestyle, the glam, the, the cover up, you know, the, all the things that were talked about earlier. They liked that. So they wanted to keep that facade going. But all of them knew that, that it was a problem. And, and more importantly, those of us from the outside looking in absolutely knew there was a problem. I'll say this as well. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, uh, or more times than not, y- your show is, is doing that very thing. You are constantly examining two, two groups of people you always talk about. One is pastors and the others are, are comedians. You say those are the truth tellers in the world. And so you're always acknowledging the fact that, that, that we need to look at life whether it's through the lens of humor or through the lens of truth and examine ourselves, that it should be a reflection that, that, we, that we take a look at and change uh, our hearts uh, about. But, but again, you're right to the question you asked or the question you, you posed. Those ladies owe us nothing. And, and I'm not looking for them to fix anything. But I didn't need their help in trying to identify the problem, nor do I need their help in identifying the truth. The fact is that, that the truth is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastor Anthony, he mentioned it. We, we talk about it often on this program. It's the very reason you have this, this segment on your show. You're pointing people with all the issues of culture. You're pointing them back to the truth. And that is the word of God 
and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So one thing I think we're beating around is 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 in terms of of why didn't they offer a solution? Why didn't they put any hope? And if, if they're really even spiritual or still believe in God, their art should offer a little hope. I, I will say this, that Hollywood, in order to get a movie made, a TV show made or whatever, it requires a nihilistic view of the world mm -hmm. at this point. Yep. We've removed hope from uh, anything we offer in art. And that's why if you listen to music, just even, this is particularly acute. This is across the board in American culture, but it's particularly acute in the art that is perceived as black. And, if, and it's why we don't make love songs anymore. Again, and this is just a factual, that's not an opinion. They, they can show you in Billboard, top right. in the 1970s and 80s, what dominated the Billboard top 100 for soul music or whatever. Love songs, love songs, love songs everywhere. Now, no love songs. It, we, we, don't, we don't offer hope, we don't offer love. Mm -hmm. And so just for some people, I, I just, and again, I get accused a lot of times of, of dumbing things down for the audience, but I, I like to make things very clear so that even a baby can understand, even so that I can understand. And so it's like, I went and made sure nihilistic, make sure I even have the right definition or whatever. So I like to go to the dictionary and I just want to share with the audience so you can fully, the rejection of all religious and moral principles in the belief that life is meaningless. Extreme skepticism, maintaining that nothing in the world has a real existence. That's where we're at right now as it relates to American culture. In every TV show, in every movie, there is no good and bad guys. Everybody's bad. And that's what you saw in this honk for Jesus. Everybody's bad. I'm, we talk on this show on Mondays about House of the Dragon, the new Game of Thrones spinoff on HBO. Everybody's bad. You go, TV shows that I love and call the greatest. Uh, the Sopranos, everybody's bad. Uh, art is, The Wire had a few good people or whatever, but it's a very nihilistic view of America. And so we don't have heroes anymore mm. in movies and in art. They want everybody taking a very skeptical, extreme view of themselves and of the world. And, and so, <clears throat> again, I, I guess I offer that up as a defense of these. They couldn't get the movie made if there had been a hero in this movie, if there had been a representation of Jesus Christ, and particularly a black representation of Jesus Christ in this movie, it never gets made. It, it just, they just won't, they won't allow it. So they, you can't, and that's even the young minister and his wife, what they represented <laughs> was the next generation of like, you think something better is coming? No, what's coming at least, at least, uh, the first iteration of the, the first lady and his, that man was the leader. That next generation, the young couple, that woman was the leader. Yes. She did all the talking and control. It's a very, yeah. I, don't even, I don't even know if I'd call it egalitarian. She, she was in control. <laughs> yes. And, and that's what they were trying to message, <laughs> message you. 
and and again, it's male, particularly men are horrible and bad. And if there's any hope for people, for humanity, and particularly black people, it's in the woman. Right. And the men are weak. They're sexually perverse. Uh, they have no discipline and they have no substance. That's what basically they were saying about both of those ministers. All the substance was coming from the women. Uh, and so it was just a very nihilistic view, but that is what the times require right now. There are no heroes. Yeah, and I think just in my lifetime, I've seen the, the wives of the pastors change. Like when I was a little girl, it was the pastor's wife. And then it went to first lady. Mm -hmm. And you had to refer to her as first lady. Now mm -hmm. it's co-pastor. Oh, wow. And now it's the wife has just as much say as the husband. Yep. And the, pa the man is just not the pastor leading the church. His wife is also the pastor. Co-pastor. And they're co-pastors. Yeah. Yeah. And they're both leading the church. And so just in my lifetime, I've watched it change from women kind of being, you know, in the back and letting the man lead to now women being in the front and saying, no, I got this. That's a reflection of culture. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would add another N word to it. So you got nihilistic, but the world and culture is growing more narcissistic. Mm. It's about me and what I'm going to get out of this. And so I see that in the movie. Uh, but just to be, you know, as we try to do here, you know, be fearless and just be very honest about things. What the enemy is ultimately trying to do with people of faith is to get them to doubt. Mm. If he can get you to doubt, he's won. Everything else is going to trickle from your doubt. And that's why uh, he, you know, when a minister falls, you see the church tend to fall if, if he does, because all the doubt now goes to, oh, this word he was preaching to us. Oh, he was this, that and the other. And then the scandal pumps out. Now, there will be some who are going to be spiritually mature enough to say, hey, that was just him. Mm -hmm. You know, God is still good. God is still real. The truth is still the truth. But there, there's going to be a whole lot of other people that are going to say, you know what? That's why I don't go to church anyway. That's why. And that's where in this movie. The reason where I say and, and, you know, we've got our perspectives on what they could have done. But when you leave it just that this is the black church, which is what the satire of the movie is trying to say, this is the black church. And for some, it's going to be this is the church. Right. You're going to feed into folk who are saying, see, that that's why I know that's what they all are. And they're going to look at every minister through that satirical lens. Right. And, and even like I said, the way it ends is just. We're just going to perpetuate this. And maybe I don't know the, the directors. I don't know their angle. I don't know their faith. But maybe that may be where they are. Or maybe they're speaking to that crowd to, hey, we don't need no church, you know, because that's that's all they're doing to some level. It's either about them. It's about what they can look like. And that's and that's the doubt on a very real sense that the enemy is trying to do. Just put that doubt in the minds. And that's where culture and especially the younger generation leaves God, because that's what they see as church, what we saw on the movie. Virgil, I'll give you final say. Yeah, you know, I, I totally agree with what with what was said uh, in, in that space with with you guys there. I think there's a broader conversation to have 
uh, around these issues, A, the black church, uh, B, church in general, the, the manner in which pastors should live, uh, the manner in which, which people of God, those who call themselves Christians, uh, should carry themselves. I think that's a conversation that we have regularly right here on this show. You had mentioned earlier that you thought that uh, you know, Hollywood wouldn't have allowed this movie uh, to, 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 you know, if it, if it weren't nihilistic, uh, they wouldn't have allowed it to happen. Uh, anymore, nowadays, we don't, you don't need Hollywood. Uh, if that was the heart of those who made the movie, they could, they could have told it, that story in that way. But, but again, to the point you made earlier, Jason, it's irrelevant whether those ladies did or didn't do what we thought they should. They made their movie, they made their point. Now it's up to you, me, and, and those of us who know how to do better or know that, that we should be doing better to absolutely do better. And that's what we've got to do. Virgil, I'm on a, you made me, brought me to another point. This is going longer than I, <laughs> I thought, but you brought me to another point. That's where my disappointment, like with the Daily Wire, when they put out their movie, Terror on the Prairie or whatever, and, and, and the worst person in that movie was a Bible quoting Christian. Uh, he was the bad guy. And so it's just like, that's not Hollywood. That's the Daily Wire, one to be disruptive. It's a right. bunch of men that are the shot callers, basically. And they put out a movie that's consistent uh, with the Hollywood narrative and worldview. And, and, and that's where, again, the culture seems to be in such control of even Christian people, or I came to the Daily Wire, I'm Christian, I, I gotta be careful. Uh, but religious, spiritual people right. uh, are being driven by the culture and maybe they don't even realize it. That, that and, and so, I, I just, have we, I think, have, go ahead. I, I, think, I think the point that you make is a good one. We have got to have clear lenses. I don't worry about how someone depicts us as Christians uh, because I recognize we're going to be hated by the world. I think the point that you make is a good one. Daily Wire, the thought is that they're at least Jewish of the Judeo-Christian worldview, and so they should depict us in a right way. Uh, I, I, whether they do or don't is irrelevant to guys who have their feet on the ground, who are interacting one-to-one -one with individuals in their culture, in their community, that are taking a stand for truth. Uh, at the end of the day, we've got to do that and then and then allow God to open doors where platforms uh, are, are allow us to say what we want to say, the way we want to say it, uh, and push forward. That's exactly what you're doing here at Feelers. That's exactly the reason why folks are, are gravitating to uh, this platform, because they want to hear those kinds of things said in a way uh, that's un unapologetic about issues like the gospel. Uh, about a biblical worldview. And so uh, I think there is a space for it. Uh, we're in it, uh, and we just continue to push forward. Thank you, Virgil. We'll end on this note in terms of, even if you're not religious, I, I just wanna ask you, are you really comfortable in a world where there, there are no good guys? It, it, do you really believe that? that there is no good and evil, there's just people pursuing power by any means necessary. And if so, if, if that's the world we're gonna create and we're gonna have art back up that worldview, that's agreeing to everybody's misery and death. That, that's basically, if there is no good, 
And it's just all, and if every show and every, if all the messaging we're sending to young people is, just get that money, man. Get that rest in power, get that power, mm. get that money. There is no higher calling than money and power. Uh, you know, your kids are gonna live a horrible, horrible existence. It's gonna be far more oppressive and depraved and, and destructive than anything we've known, certainly in my lifetime, because that, that is not, I grew up believing there were good guys and bad guys, right. and the movies and TV shows. James Evans on Good Times was a good guy. <laughs> so was Florida Evans. Yep. And they were fighting a system that was unfair, but they were good people that leaned into their faith. And I enjoyed that. It gave me hope and inspiration because we were poor when Good Times was on mm -hmm. and could see ourselves in mm -hmm. that. And just like, we just leaned in our faith, you know. Maybe my sister will marry a pro football player, quarterback for the Bears. <laughs> yeah. If I was Michael, I could go to school and say, anyway, Shamika, yeah. I'll give you the final say. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm I got gone. one too, though. Yeah, uh, I, would, I got a verse. Oh, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, and mine may stem another spark, you another could. conversation. But I would say I think we do have to have hope and think that there are good people because, mm -hmm. like you said, if, if not, our children will lead very poor lives. But I will say that this movie kind of depicts one reason why I don't know if you remember when I first started this show, when I say I don't say I'm a Christian. I don't just, you know, walk around like I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. That is one of the reasons why, because I feel like people that do that are a poor representation of Christ. Mm. And so I would rather people decide who I am by my actions, opposed mm. to me just walking around and saying, this is who I am, this is who I am. Because when I looked at that movie, it was not shocking to me because I see it or I've seen it mm -hmm. so much. The thing I was gonna say, that's an interesting uh, point you made. Um, the one scripture I wanted to get out before we left today, James chapter one, verse 27. James says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep one's self from being polluted by the world. So if you see that church and you see that worldview and it bothers you, seek out the, the, those of God's people, seek out the church that is giving help to the helpless, mm -hmm. giving hope to the hopeless, and helping to be anti-cultural. We're, we're counter-cultural. We're not doing what everybody else does. We're trying to live after God and not live after the world. Seek after that church and you'll be where God wants you to be. All right, let's play some harmony and uh, uh, we'll see you tomorrow. up so divided stop fighting and stand tall we used to be a nation one united now we're headed for a downfall god let your light shine down what we need more than anything to wake up.
to my brother See through the lies he tell 